This, this is the second, second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. Happy New Year. Today on the program is first-time storyteller Deborah Hines. It seems fitting this new year that Deborah's story details the corruptive nature of power and also the power of redemption. Recorded live at Pub 626 in November 2016, Second Story presents Deborah Hines. My childhood self stands on a concrete driveway. I straddle my bike and watch as my mother plucks clothespins off a clothesline. White sheets collapse into her arms. They have to be rewashed. Grit from the steel mills near our apartment traveled on the warm breeze. It landed on our billowing sheets, leaving a fine coat of dirt on their surface. The mills, my mother sighed whenever she fought the battle of the grit. The mills were the salvation of our neighborhood, post-World War II South Chicago. When their burning chimneys flared out orange flame, when molten steel danced in their furnaces, when the men of the steel mills worked and didn't strike, South Chicago hummed with prosperity. Immigrant workers labored at the mills seven days a week around the clock on shifts that divided lives into three eight-hour segments plus overtime. Many of these immigrants came from Poland. My family wasn't Polish. My father didn't work in the mills. He was a salesman. We were immigrants from the Irish tribe of South Shore, a neighborhood north and west of South Chicago. I reveled in the exoticism of the Polish culture as soon as we moved into it. My family was boring. I didn't have a busha and jaja. I had a grandmother and grandfather. We didn't eat bumki and chadnina at supper. We had meat and potatoes at dinner. Our colors were the bland neutrals, blues, and creams of South Shore. Theirs were the vibrant reds, whites, yellows, greens, and orange of South Chicago. I heard a beautiful language, the same mysterious language that I could hear from kitchen radios in my new friends' homes. It was Polish. We only spoke English. Music changed. Little Wally's band and polkas joined Fats Domino and the Jitterbug and my pantheon of artists and dances. I was extraordinary at St. Bronislava grade school on 87th and Colfax. The fact that I wasn't Polish elevated me to a hybrid status in my classmates' eyes. I was an emissary from a wider world. <laughs> Their families never ventured north of 83rd Street or west of Yates, and here I was from 79th and Jeffrey. <laughs> this was a land close by, but culturally worlds apart. Linda Pulaski joined our class in sixth grade. She had pale skin, dishwater blonde hair, and a serious pair of eyeglasses with pink plastic frames that tipped up comically on her unsmiling face. 
Her body had curves, nascent as they were. She didn't exactly have breasts, but she had a promise of them. <laughs> I moved through time and space like a walking bean pole. I was accustomed to deference from my peers by this time at St. Bronislava. At recess, I motioned to Linda to join us in double dutch jump rope. She turned her back and walked away. I approached her and asked, do you speak English? Transfer students to St. Bronislava sometimes didn't. I saw a flicker across the gray iris of Linda's eye, a flicker as cold as the steel produced in the mills. Of course I speak English, she retorted. I held a vote to admit Linda Pulaski to Jechimadi. I was president, a position of high esteem. Never heard of Jechimadi? <laughs> Jechimadi is Polish for Children of Mary and was the name of my grade school sodality. Don't know what a sodality is? <laughs> A sodality is a women's or girls' social group whose purpose is to venerate Mary with masses and rosaries. I don't want to do that. Linda Pulaski told me when I gave her the news that she'd been voted in. Why wouldn't she want to join Jechimari? Melanie Lestowski said disapprovingly when I relayed Linda's rejection to the sodality members. They all disapproved, but I withheld my disapproval. I remained above the fray as president. <laughs> I called the shots, but here I'd called one that was spurned. I stopped making overtures to Linda Pulaski. It was easy for us to go our separate ways in a class of 52, but before she receded from my orbit, I noticed her curves again and felt a pang in my heart. Could it be that I felt envy? That was September. The school year advanced. Midnight supper on Christmas Eve. Red and white ribbons in March for Polish Day. Easter baskets blessed in April. One fateful day in May, the month of the May crowning, the nun on duty moved us from the lunchroom to the school basement after lunch. Then she disappeared. Our daily routine never changed, and we never, ever were left unsupervised. There we were, in a cavernous basement chamber housing stepladders, floor buffers, shovels, cement walls painted mud brown closed in on us. Gray stuff hung from the ceiling. I'm sure it was asbestos. <laughs> In this grim setting, on this exceptional day, we sat packed together at wooden tables, unfettered by law and order. We vibrated with post-lunch energy. The boys yelled and ran from seat to seat, popping up and sitting down at will. Still, no nun in sight. Linda Pulaski and I wound up sitting side by side, elbows almost touching. Maybe it was the asbestos. Maybe it was the cement walls. Maybe it was the alignment of the planets that day over peaceful, profitable, post-war South Chicago. But when our elbows did touch, I felt a jolt of electricity go right through me. I slugged her. 
I punched her before I even knew it. My blow landed on her clavicle. Clavicle. How delicate and beautiful a word. How delicate and beautiful a bone. She aimed a punch at my face. I blocked her with my right forearm and came at her again. I was possessed, but I kept swinging. Suddenly on my left, two girls from our class came out of nowhere. They moved on either side of me and each grabbed an arm. The instant that I felt their hands on me, shame overcame me. Linda Pulaski turned away. I did too. The skin on my arms held a memory of being restrained. Still, no nun in sight. I now knew that I could lash out to hurt someone. Was my presidency of Mari an undeserved honor? My good girl persona a facade? I hadn't sought my elevated status. It was bestowed upon me. Linda Pulaski's contemptuous indifference to me lay bare the hollowness of my high rank. For a living, I have massaged over many, many, many a clavicle. I have slid my skilled hands across the tender decolletage of thousands of clients. The skin in that area so barely covers the bony, delicate clavicle. Maybe I needed to attack Linda Pulaski for me to learn the sanctity of the body. Maybe I needed to learn about the pitfalls of feeling privileged. Maybe you do have to be cruel to be kind. Deborah's story was curated by Andrew Riley. She was directed by Dorothy Milne, and the sound design was by Nick Kawahara. Second Story is supported in part by the Chicago Community Trust, the MacArthur Funds for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Nick Kawahara, and this is The Second, Second Story Podcast.